Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited, but I've just come into possession of a cure for insomnia. Welcome again to the Good Tragedy Honorcast, where a bunch of guys gather around a table and talk about the movies you will never discuss in a film studies course, unless you're going to be in the future somewhere 20 years from now, because it's anti-trash this week, and we are spending some time examining films that may find their way into coursework, but not right now. They're very, very recent. They're very, very arty. They are also always genre-related in some way, shape, or form. This week, it's Barbarian Sound Studio. But before we get into Barbarian Sound Studio, we need to talk a little bit about who we are. To my left, sir, if you'd introduce yourself. I'm uh, Caleb Masters, and I have turned into the uh, good trash genre cast hobo. And uh, today, I'd like That's to. Accurate. <laughs> and today, I'd like to uh, to help you review this uh, this uh, this this, uh, 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 this uh, fine movie, uh, uh, Chaos Theory. Hmm. All right, thank you, Mr. Caleb Masters. Across the table in the green sweater, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and I'm still trying to figure out who I have to kill around here to get a copy of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know, right? That's <laughs> amazing. You can't find that. And across the table in the fine plaid shirt. As always, right? Um, my name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm wondering, Dustin, should I give these receipts for the gas I got over on the way over here to you or your wife? Um, so you, how do I get reimbursement? You need to call Lucio. Okay. In accounting. Can I use your phone? <laughs> no. <laughs> and my name is Justin Sells, and I definitely am the source of all of the chaos in which no one ever knows what's going on. And I'm so glad to be here with you gentlemen, talking about a movie, Barbarian Sound Studio. It's a host pick. I try to keep it in time and in uh, syn- synthesis and rhythm with our uh, monthly marathon. Uh, we're going to talk about this movie now. We're going to do a quick review. This is not a review show, though. It's an analysis show. After our reviews, there will be spoilers. I'm not sure spoilers would necessarily negatively affect this film, but uh, we'll try to keep it down from there. But first, we're going to have to have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A sound engineer's work for an Italian horror studio becomes a terrifying case of life imitating art. <laughs> I mean, there is that. I, I guess there is. It's just so much less interesting than what actually happens. Well, this is not the film I, I thought it would be when you first told me about it, probably in episode four of the Good Trash Genre cast, when you first learned about it. Not the film I thought it would be. Oh, yeah? No. I don't think it was the film you probably thought it was going to be either. Well, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I've read some articles about it, so maybe I had a, a more clear uh, understanding. But we'll, we'll do that now in our reviews. Let's just begin with that with our thumbs up. Thumbs down. What works? What doesn't work? I start with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, sir. If you would. Uh, honestly, I'm not a fan. You know, Dustin had loaned me a copy of Mulholland Drive uh, to help put things into perspective, but I didn't get around to watching it. As far as Barbarian goes, much like Only God Forgives, it looks and sounds phenomenal. Uh, Toby Jones does a great job. I think uh, the movie just doesn't do it for me. I think the homage is lost on me in a lot of ways, and I, I don't think this can survive an audience with no active knowledge of GIO films or David Lynch films. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. I mean, otherwise, it's just pretty crazy, right? No. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Uh, can, I say, can I say one last thing? You can't. You can say as many things as you like. Really? Yeah. Filibuster. <laughs> Call I, me Ishmael. <laughs> I would say that this film may blend that art genre thing a little better than Only God Forgives. Like, yeah. That's a huge discussion uh, we had last week. Yeah. Or two weeks Yeah, it does. No doubt. No doubt. I, I think, think there is that. That's fair. So it's better than Only God Forgives. Oh, by a mile. Are you high? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty different towards high. both of them. And so, 
Which I one is he more indifferent towards? I, I think I would say that, yeah. I think that's fair. Excellent. Excellent. I'd, I'd, I'd give that a pass. All right, well, thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, you seem to want to interject at every moment, so please go ahead and get that review out there. I mean, I usually do. This, <laughs> I mean, when talking about um, art film dipping its toes into genre film or jumping into them as the case may be, this film is heads and shoulders and legs and light years and miles better than that merciful... Mercifully, I'm trying to edit myself so I don't let out a tirade of swear words. It's so much better than Only God Forgives, which is not a good film at all. This is the worst movie ever. Barbarian Sound Studio, on the other hand, is quite good. Uh, I don't have much of a frame of reference for David Lynch or uh, Italian GIO films, uh, and I loved Barbarian Sound Studio, I think. I, I really liked it a lot. Um... I think it kind of falls apart towards the end a little bit, but that's part of that that David Lynchian thing that I think they they were really wanting to go for. Um, I, I wanted more. I it it felt like all foreplay and no payoff, I guess. Um, but I really really like. Yeah, you guys are chuckling, you weirdos. Um, man, I like this film. It's such a great premise. Why do we not have more movies about sound mixers? No doubt, it's so cool. That's fair. Oh my gosh, it was great. Uh, Toby Jones it just knocks it out of the park. Is this really meek, um, kind of uh, loafish, loafish, loudish? I don't know. He, he he's just very meek and yet very inarticulate and, and, and kind of slovenly. English. And yes, English. Very English. Very English. Yeah. So very English. Yes. Um, I, I I just really like this film. It builds the suspense so well. You keep expecting something horrible to happen, and really nothing does. Nothing really happens in this movie at all. Um, at least not for Toby Jones' character. He loses his mind. Yeah, but, which is uh, something. But you keep <laughs> expecting. You keep expecting uh, there to be real witches, or for for somebody to get decapitated, or then he kills them all. Yeah, he like murders. <laughs> it's got a that really ominous feel. Yeah, the entire and then time. nothing happens, and it's awesome. <laughs> I, on the one hand, I, I I was like, okay, give me another half hour. Let's someone needs to die. And then on the other hand, I love that that didn't happen. Because yeah, uh, Caleb uh, hit hit it right on the head. It has an ominous feel from the from the get go, but nothing happens, and it's fucking great. I I, I like this movie a lot, guys. I really do. Um, I, one of my favorite things about it is that you never see the film. Mm, mm-hmm. Never, never see it a single minute. No. And which is except really for cool. that rotoscoped intro. Yes, which was super sweet. You you get to see the uh, the uh, the film Equestrian Vortex's. Uh, such a great title. <laughs> you get to see it's the name of my band, man. Yeah, it sounds like a band, right? Uh, you get to see the the opening titles for Equestrian Vortex, but nothing else. And, and to me, that heightens the mystery and weirdness of this film and the mm-hmm. spookiness. And you, your mind is left to fill in the blanks of this horrifying film that they're making, uh, which I think is really cool, especially in scenes like. Uh, the the, uh, what the what was it, the dangerously aroused guy? <laughs> I love the guy. I love the guy that's calling out what the scenes are and how he describes them. Uh, but just scenes like that, where with these really kind of hilariously weird scene titles, uh, but then the foley work and voiceover they're doing is is just so disturbing uh, when your mind is left to fill in the picture that they are creating with sound. So structurally, I, th- I think there's a lot of really cool stuff going on with the way the story is told. Uh, as far as narrative and plot structure go, uh, it does kind of venture into that thing I don't like about art films a lot of the time at the end. But I think this is one of those cases where that serves the film rather than the film serving the style. Uh, the style serves the film. Um, but man, I like this one a lot. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Mr. Caleb Masters, your review, sir. That's uh, okay. Wow. Oh wow! It's very, uh, wow, we, we've moved up to okay. We, it's, <laughs> I, I never said at any point that I didn't like this movie. So this was it was all right. I I, I kind of am along the same thought process as Arthur with uh, his final statement about how this this is a this is an art house film that feels like it's more naturally art house film. But I, as I told Dustin off off air, uh, and again I know that like I'll go back and going back to our discussion about Only God Forgives and Drive. It was a movie that. It didn't have to flash all its art and imagery and all the, hey, check us out, 
uh, right there just kind of was with the way they did things. Um, however, that being said, I told Dustin before on air, I felt like this was more like a movie about an, uh, someone trying to make an art house movie than an art house movie itself. Um, I don't know. That might be kind of controversial. But uh, the, it's an odd movie that has a great ominous tone to it. And the, I like the art, art, the visual artistry of it is everything about this movie is dark. Uh, um, the sets, um, even the, the way the actors are dressed, and, and, and everything just kind of has this ominous, like, wow, this guy, this is this is terrible. And what I like about the movie is this is the character you're going, you're following uh, Toby Jones's character. So this is the way he perceives life in this studio. So on that note, it's really cool because you actually, I mean, for, at least for me, I felt what that character was supposed to feel, which is this ominous dread, and just it gets worse and worse every day. So that was really cool. But what, uh, the movie, uh, and then to piggyback off what Dalton said, I don't know, it didn't really feel like it paid off, honestly. It just didn't really ever go anywhere. I mean, the guy kind of goes a little crazy, I guess, sort of. Um, and then the movie ends, and I was like... Okay, I felt like I just saw Act One of like a three act story or something like that. Hmm. I feel like I saw I feel like I saw a bunch of setup and not really any payoff. Um, doesn't mean the movie's worthless. Just means eh, it was all right. I probably won't watch it again unless they release parts two and three next week. <laughs> I don't I don't want to get lumped in to Caleb's opinion of this film. Uh, I I think what this film does works for it. I wanted it to do something different, but it's okay that it did. That's fair. Yeah, and that's why I said the strength is uh, for me, and I don't want. So I don't want to say it's a total waste of time because it's not. the The strength is you are very much with this character throughout, and mm-hmm. I guess to some degree he does develop or degenerate or however you want. He has an arc. I believe degenerate would be the. Well, <laughs> sorry, degenerate. He has an arc, and all the marbles, <laughs> all the marbles are gone um, by the end of this movie. It, Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! As a character piece, in, our, in a piece of art, I think it works. So, anti-trash, good thumbs up, sure, that works as a piece of anti-trash. But, this movie I'm going to revisit, and I, I, I just didn't leave me with a very strong impression other than that, wow. Okay. That was a movie I watched, and it had some real great, great strengths to it, but it's not one that I'm just really excited to watch again. All right, well, fair enough. Um, what I would say is this is... The movie, <laughs> though, again, the, the central performance is fantastic. You see all of that introversion and all of that meticulousness uh, being placed in a situation where a character is completely out of control, out of his depth, and is forced to reckon with images and ideas that are totally beyond his typical doing. He's a nature film fellow. And uh, and it drives him crazy. He loses his bloomin' marbles. So the, the movie is playing with those sort of themes. Uh, Equestrian, Vox, Vortex, whatever the name of the movie is, is probably nothing all that surprising or unusual as far as the film. It's just that it, it is the total abjection that uh, Gilderoy experiences that makes him crazy. And it is this, and it, the whole time there's all this love letter stuff to Giaio, uh, obviously Giovanni's black gloved hand. The killer is turning the movie on. Mm-hmm. The killer is turning the movie yeah. on. That's amazing. Uh, the, the, the weapon is film in this. Also, uh, just again, nods to David Lynch, the, the silencio that you see with the club mm-hmm. silencio of Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. in which there is no band, there is no orchestra, yet you're completely affected by things that aren't actually real, they're not actually there. You see that great cover in Mulholland Drive of Roy Orbison's crying, and it's, of course, completely moving the two main characters. And then you find out it's all recording, and she passes out. And it's the idea that even this, which is on the stage, is artifice. It's not actually real. And, of course, the film you're watching itself is also artifice and not real. And you're seeing these two characters being so moved by the song. And you're being moved by the song because you're being moved by the movement that is experienced by characters that aren't really real. Experiencing movement of songs that aren't really real being sung by somebody not really real. And this whole circle of artifice and its effective nature on people is amazing. And that's what makes this guy's of fun. And, uh... Welcome to my brain, <laughs> everybody. You got so excited. <laughs> Therefore, 
I like the movie a lot. Thank you, gentlemen, for <laughs> your reviews. Let's go ahead and do what we do, though, now, and uh, bring us some analysis to this film. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? You know, I, I, I was struck so by this film that I really just kind of let it wash over me, and I didn't really try to dig that hard into it. I really didn't. You're working, man. You're working. You're at work. Uh, the film beat me. It won. <laughs> what do you want? Uh, the thing that really did strike me, though, was its uh, portrayal of uh, culture shock uh, and othering. Uh, you know, Toby Jones is... Uh, if, if you could think of two cultures more um, <laughs> antithetical to one another, it would be the stereotypical English uh, disposition and the stereotypical uh, Italian disposition. To use um, a, a metaphor, would be the hot Italian disposition to the cold. Yes. Precisely, English, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Chicken marsala versus, you know, pea soup. I mean... Boiled meat. God, they're the worst of food. <laughs> the worst of food. And heaven, the food is Italian, and hell, it's English. <laughs> Get it together, Great Britain. You've been a country for like 2,000 years. Um, but Toby Jones shows up here, and everyone's just kind of a dick. But they really, really yes. they relate to each other fairly well, uh, I would say, uh, despite that. And he's just blown away by what he perceives as himself being very polite, and everyone thinks he's being exceptionally rude, uh, particularly the producer, who is quite awful. Mm-hmm. Um, really, probably the, the villain of the piece, I think, to be sure. Right. Uh, other than, you know, Until totally becomes insanity. The, you know? Becomes the villain himself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ish. That this feedback isn't that big of a deal. I'm sorry. I, dangerously aroused goblin. Dangerously aroused. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Sorry, man. Snaps into this craziness and I'll make him an antagonist. Um, but that, that was really what struck me was culture shock uh, and being surrounded by the other. Um, and that that is something that I, I find very uh, fascinating in storytelling, uh, and really as a sociological concept. Uh, in general, is this idea of the other, this this group that we cannot deal with, that we cannot understand, that, that is so far removed from us that we, even if we want to take the time to try and understand them, we fail miserably. And I think that's what happens to Toby Jones' character, Gilderoy, in this film. As he is so overcome by the other, he, it washes over himself, that it literally destroys his mind. Uh, he, he cannot reconcile his own worldview. Uh, with that of the other, in this case, uh, the Italian filmmakers. That was something I really was struck by in this film, is how it uses that sense of otherness to put you off balance. Most of the film, Gilder doesn't know what's going on, because people are speaking Italian. He doesn't speak Italian until suddenly he does. Mm-hmm. Strange. Or does he? Or does he? Does he? He doesn't, probably. Or does he? It's a weird film. Culture shock. That's what I got for you. I don't know. This movie. It's totally that. This movie's bonkers. Totally that. And I think that culture shock reading and that othering in a xenophobic sense is mm. totally uh, certain. Yeah, the, the, this othering is not a positive thing. It, it, it is certainly a a sense of xenophobia, a racist. If you want to go that far, um, it's not overt here, but I think it certainly plays some part of it. Um, he he's just completely and utterly horrified by this film that they're making. And he tries to leave several times, and you get the sense that he can't leave, whether it's because he doesn't want to, or because there's magic involved. I don't know. Who knows? Who gives a shit? It's crazy and weird and awesome. Why aren't you watching it? Go watch it. It's, it's weird. Go get your own reading. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Well, thanks for coming back after having watched Barbarian Sound Studio, per Dalton's request. Now we're going to listen to what Caleb Masters has to say about this film. I think the surreal surrealism is all over this movie, obviously. <laughs> Toby Jones shows up at the studio, and he's uh, not very happy. Um, so he's slowly kind of... He slowly loses his humanity. And when I say humanity, I don't mean... You know, what makes him human, but like the things he like, like he he likes sound mixing, right? That's his passion. That's his job. He likes it. It's very evident that he's very good at it. But he slowly he comes and he comes to this place he doesn't like, and he's not um, happy. His conscious self is slowly whittled down to nothing. Mm-hmm. He's miserable. At which point, this pours into the subconscious. His subconscious takes control. I think this movie has some very surrealist ideas because obviously by the end of the film. 
his dreams become reality. He makes them reality. Um, but it all starts, uh, his arc really is going from reality to dreams and bringing, making his dreams a new reality. The, instead of this being the happy, awesome story, you know, a lot of dr- dreams come true are, this is a nightmare come true, or, or more or less. And this movie kind of plays into that, um, in the way he interacts uh, with the, the characters then obviously goes insane at the end. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say other than that, but this is definitely a, a surrealist film, and I think, again, as I mentioned in my review, the, the art, uh, the visual style, and the visual choices of this movie are very supportive of that arc. Um, it's, all, it's a little brighter at the beginning, it gets darker and darker, and then, it, then, no and then at the end, uh, it's kind of this weird, like, nothing look, everything looks off. You know, because that's kind of the, the, the arc the character's taking in. So I, so I think we very much get a, a great surrealist transformation throughout this film. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, you know, surrealism is a, a, a movement that is set to obliterate the distinction between dream and reality. And we certainly experience that uh, alongside Gilderoy as uh, we see this film. Thank you for that, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, sir? Well, one of the things I want to pick up on is something that... Uh, Dalton kind of mentioned in his review. Uh, what is effective about Barbarian Sound Studio uh, is its incredibly effective use of sound, um, which is very appropriate because this is a movie about a sound mixer. So I would affect the sound mixing to be top-notch. And it is. Um, what the sound design allows for us is inferred horror, similar to something like inferred violence, which can be seen in movies such as Scarface or the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, wherein all of the extremely violent and gory moments are shown to us by our own imagination. The film shows us images and plays us sounds that force our mind to put together a very specific image. I think the most notable of the chainsaw scene in Scarface, uh, where the top of a man's head is removed with the chainsaw. We see his face, we see blood, and we hear everything, but we never see the chainsaw do the damage. Uh, we put the pieces together to form a picture in our own mind. This is something that Barbarian does perfectly, by only letting us hear sounds. The film that the director is working on and that Gilderoy is scoring sounds like the goriest grindhouse blood and guts film ever made. It does. It sounds awful. Yet we never see any footage of the film. We see a sound effects team cutting and chopping various fruits and veggies, and we see Gilderoy do some different sound experiments, and all of this on the base level seems normal. We've all cut up watermelon, we've all chopped lettuce, but what Barbarian does is provide a sinister context that gives those sounds new meaning. I never felt such empathy for a melon in my life. We know that every watermelon or cabbage chopped is another person being stabbed or diced up. The score that Gilderoy designs throughout the movie and the screams of the actresses beginning to add layers to the film. So that by the end of the film, we probably have something of a mental image of how that movie actually played out. That movie being Equestrian Vortex. Uh, From the hellish rape sequences to the mass murdering that we hear over and over throughout, the audience members who pay attention and follow Gilderoy's ascent are seeing exactly what he sees. The other interesting thing that Barbarian does, in keeping with the sound motif, is that it uses its visual presence to amplify the effect of the audio on the viewer, instead of using the audio to set the tone for the visual. The way each of the sets is lit and the way that everything is presented visually acts to throw us off guard. We are as uncomfortable and unsure as Gilderoy. This speaks to the power of Jones' performance, as well as the development of the mise-en-scene and the direction of Strickland. Uh, We, as an audience, begin to react to the horrors of the film within Barbarian in much the same way that Gilderoy does. No doubt. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What I would bring, as far as analysis goes, is uh, I love to look at this movie in terms of the history of Hollywood production of film. Because part of what we're experiencing, as Gilderoy experiences such great alienation in this film, is that hierarchical system of production. And how everyone sort of has their place and should know their place and is doing everything to defend their place. And really, they all sort of become cogs in the machine. The poor actresses who are doing these uh, voiceovers. And these actresses and actors likely were not those who performed the roles. Um, One of the famous things about Italian cinema of the 70s is that oftentimes, uh, even when dialogue was fine, it would still be redubbed in studio. And uh, it's just something that's done a lot. And uh, so you would. I heard once that seventy uh, percent of most films is ADR. It's probably yeah. true. Yeah. But th- these would be um, redubbed by different, completely different actors, different people, often. Just because. Just yeah, just because. And so you again. Yeah, I like a her body, but not a her voice. That was really offensive. I'm sorry. It was a little bit. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Cares. <laughs> <laughs> All our listeners in Jersey go, you know, bada bing, he's right. Yeah, no. When you invent fascism, people are allowed to make fun of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's something to that. So there is 
in this film all of these different roles and you sort of have the role of the body on screen which we don't ever see mm-hmm. you have the role of the voice disembodied but placed back onto the screen you have the role of the foley artist you have the role of um, Giovanni whose sole job seems to be to turn on the machine uh, you have uh, the secretary also now it's my department right uh, just only wanting to do her thing because again it's talking about all this division all these departments uh, and of course uh, what's interesting about the film is that this is the producer's movie yeah it is not the director's movie although the director thinks it's his movie mm-hmm. and I, I you know of course he's getting paid the highest salary of anybody else who happens to be working for the producer the producer seems to be a bit more uh, frugal so, in his, so this is like like Michael Bay you know, he thinks he's directing It's His Movie, but it's actually the producer's movie. Something like that. making money. I was thinking Alfred Hitchcock making Rebecca. Oh, well, Hitchcock, yeah. there you go. It, 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 that David O. Selznick is here. and But unlike Hitchcock, we're dealing with someone who thinks he's great, making some... Gilderoy, do not call my movie horror picture. <laughs> it's Francesco picture, right? Uh, it's like, you out of your mind. This is just a horror it's flick. Like, like, he actually uh, went on to direct a uh, gym known as Troll 2. Oh, did he? Nicely played, sir. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. And so this movie kind of helps us take a glimpse inside the making of a movie. And we begin to see that it is very much a collaborative process. Even the acting of the actors is supplemented in many ways. Even the score given by the artists who make the score is supplemented by the guys who mix the sound. And even they are being supplemented by those who create some of the sounds in order for the Foley to take place. Uh, And so there are all of these stages and levels, and what we begin to learn is that truly collaborative nature of cinema. Is that one of the problems, though, tourism, which is a favorite theory amongst us here at the Good Trash Honor cast, this idea that the director is the creative uh, spirit who breathes life into cinema, into any given film, is that the director has a lot of influence, but not nearly all the influence. Probably not nearly half the influence most of the time. Now, there may be some exceptions when we're dealing with a screenwriter, director, and other situations where we're doing something like Alfred Hitchcock, who never wrote a screenplay, but was always highly, highly involved in the making of his film. Most films that we see, though, are something like whatever Equestrian Vortex is. They are these films in which there are many, many collaborators, and the producer is just churning out movie number three of six. Uh, for this calendar year and just continuing on to keep on doing what they do is that production unit system and uh, he's put together his stable of directors and they have their sound systems they work with they have their set designers they work with their costume designers they work with their various voice actor and actresses that they work with and that what we begin to see in this film I think is some of the beauty of what's going on inside film and what it does to artists who want to express themselves creatively, that is part of the reason why Hollywood's not just a dream factory, it's a nightmare factory. And why there are so many of these stories about these these poison valentines to Hollywood that sort of take this surreal take, all of Mulholland Drive, as we, as we mentioned already, also all of Sunset Boulevard, yeah. which does have a few nods of surrealism. The man does walk out with a chimpanzee. There is a funeral for the chimp. Something weird is going on. Buster Keaton shows up out of nowhere. It's a little surreal. It's safe to say. So all of that, again, is this idea that Hollywood is a system that not only elevates some great art and artistic potential, but it also kind of runs artists through the meat grinder. Oh, yeah. And that is the experience I think Gilderoy is experiencing as he's working yeah. through this film. Well, it takes one bad gig, man. I really like that reading. The Division of Labor thing, I like that a lot. Gentlemen, I also appreciated all of your readings, and I think this movie does have a lot to say. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think what we need to do now is the only thing we can do is give our final verdict. (laughs) Shelf or trash, anti-trash, if you will, else or instead. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. You know what? Unless you're a huge fan of extremely slow burn, uh, descends into madness, I'd say trash it. Um, Sorry, guys. I'm just not a fan. Um, Instead, I think you watch The Shining and The Machinist uh, would be my picks, both because they also feature 
uh, slow burn to Sense of Madness, but for me, they're just a little more approachable. I, you know, enjoyable. Better? <clears throat> uh, what? Well, Sorry, thank you for you? that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, Mr. Caleb Masters, so we can get it over with? If you're a fan of, uh, I don't know, I, I get the vibe. If, if you're a fan of uh, Descent of Madness stories or kind of uh, movies about movies, stream it. I don't think it's the best Descent of Madness story ever. I think it's a good one, I guess. Uh, I think it's a cool art house feel. Um, but it's not a great movie. So if you're not in those two categories I just mentioned, trash it. You're going to hate this movie. You're going to hate this movie. You're going to be bored within ten minutes and ask, why am I watching this? Instead, uh, Arthur already mentioned The Shining. I go with uh, Amityville Horror. Either the remake or the original. Okay, thank you for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. And now for people who know what they're talking about to talk. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, what do you have to say, buddy? Uh, yeah, I'm going to put this on the shelf. Uh, as with most of the films we have discussed... Uh, for this uh, marathon for anti-trash. This is not for beginners. This is for pro film watchers, uh, as it were. Yeah, not a good place for you to start watching movies at. <laughs> Probably start with, I don't know, The Lion King. Don't start with Barbarian Sound Studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's by directly following The Lion King. Yes. <laughs> somehow, if you're like... <laughs> somehow, if you're 30 years old and you've never seen a movie before, don't start with this one. It's not over my kids. I, you will not be able to handle it. Um, that being and listening said, to a movie podcast, apparently. Yeah, do, and also, don't do that. I'm surrounded by idiots. That being said, if if you are a, 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 a if you consider yourself a film buff, I would say this is one to check out for sure. It's really interesting. Um, you know, your mileage may vary for this one to be sure, uh, but there's a lot of really uh, interesting stuff going on here. Going on here, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's weird as all get out, uh, and it's spooky as hell. And I liked it a lot. Uh, else, I would recommend you check out the uh, Coen Brothers film Barton Fink. Because I feel like it's playing with a lot of the, the same stuff. We, we get to look at, we get a period film uh, in which someone who's involved in the behind-the-scenes uh, areas of uh, motion picture making uh, goes a little bonkers, uh, and the world goes bonkers with him. Uh, and you get a masterwork performance from a, uh, a uh, one of those guys, actors, a la John Turturro in this case. Uh, so that's actually, man, that's a good movie. Barton Fink, ah, love that one. Great movie. Yeah. Well, very yeah. underrated Coen Brothers movie. For sure. Uh, Justin Sells. Shelf or trash? Elster and Stash. Shelf, 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 shelf. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, this is... I picked the movie. It's it's my host pick. I like it a lot. It was one of the best movies I saw last year. And, or year before last, I guess, at this point. And I really, really, really like it a lot. Uh, what else? And again, because this is so referential... And we talked about this when we, when we talked about Only God Forgives, about how uh, a lot of times art cinema is conversational cinema, where there's all this other context going on, and your enjoyment of it will depend, to some extent, upon your knowledge of the references. So I could direct you to all the references, and I probably won't. Um, check you out a Bava film. Check you out uh, some Fulci for fun. Uh, check out Suspiria or Inferno. Inferno is currently streaming on the Hulu on the Hulu Plus which is a Dario Argento film. And that's something along the lines of what's going on with the madness. It's a sequel to Suspiria, but it doesn't matter that it's a sequel. It's really quite unnecessary. Uh, also, you should probably check out, oh, I don't know, uh, some Lynch. Mulholland Drive is being referenced. Eraserhead is being referenced in the closing shot uh, in, in crazy ways. He is singing to his radiator lady. You just don't know it. Um, and uh, so there's uh, another place you might have reference. Also, something more mainstream and perhaps contemporary, Hugo. Because it's a movie about the magic of the movies, this transforming power that film has, and it's more of a kid's tale. There's no real objectionable content in Barbarian Sound Studio, but I would not recommend you let kids watch it anyway. Because it'd be crazy. So I would say, uh, check out... I mean, there's a lot of movies with this movie. I mean, there really, really are. Um, but Hugo, um, something out of the Lynch catalog, something out of the Argento catalog, and I think you're well on your way to some very, very good stuff. Uh, and a good time to be had by all. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for all of those recommends. Let's now do something interesting where we allow those who are listening to participate in the conversation via social media. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that? 
Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. In the 36 hours since we dropped, have we had anything happen? We have not had anything Shocking. Happen. Uh, the other thing is that if you are not on social media, you can send us an email. That's an electronic mail message. Uh, <laughs> and you can uh, address that to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That joke never gets old. No. It's not. I love it so much. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media? Dust- Dustin. Dustin. Please. This is not a review podcast. This is an analysis podcast. Why, do, why, why, why you say review? No, not review. It's saying something about the social media experience through Twitter. Is it? I don't know. Something like that. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, and because of the quick turnaround time uh, this week, we had to record a little bit earlier than we normally do. Uh, th- there has not been time for people to say things to us on the interweb. Suck it, Caleb Vesley. <laughs> <laughs> blat, blat. <laughs> well, wowzers. Um, that's neato. Thank you for that, gentlemen. Let's move on to our game for this week as we discuss... Uh, a little bit more depth uh, in this film that may actually bring us out broader as well as deeper. We are going to deal with how art meets genre. For once, you suggested a game. I did. Every, yeah. every once in a while, I just kind of yeah. listen, and sometimes I say things. Every once in a while, Grandpa gets the horseshoes out of the shack, and we uh, we have a round. <laughs> <laughs> Tries to tell us about Vietnam, and it's weird, and everybody wants to go home because the hot dogs are cold, and... <laughs> It's too dark to swim. <laughs> Grandpa keeps talking anyway. And so this week our game is going to be uh, this mix of genre and art. What we want to see. What art films will we like to see mixed with genre? Uh, what art films perhaps, or rather what genres we don't like to see mixed with art? What genre films we want to see more of? What we see a lot of? What we like to see? What we never want to see? We just want to have kind of a general discussion as we go around the table about what we think about this mixture of art and genre and what we appreciate don't appreciate, would like to appreciate, or whatever else we'd like to say about art and genre. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, because I know you're most prepared. Go right ahead, sir. We all know we want to see it. We want to see the art house version of Transformers. Get it done. Michael Bay, art house, do it. Like the CGI action blockbuster? Yeah, I actually... Art film. Yeah, I do do it. I do want to see it. I do want to see that. What what does that look like? Gravity. Yeah. Gravity, Hugo, yeah. but with but with monsters. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, how close to Pacific Rim get not you at to all. that? Not at all. He says not at all. No, what no. do you say? I mean, Pacific Rim is classic Hollywood through and through. There, yeah, that's a. Well, just, it's definitely a higher production value. Yeah. It's a little it, bit just more thought. It's an artur director for sure, but I mean, yeah, it's not uh, not even treading on the waters no. of art. It's awesome. Yeah, it's the tits, but yeah, it's definitely not uh, art. Next thing I want to see: Nicholas Winding Refn do a screwball comedy. Starring Adam Sandler and Jim Carrey. Make it happen. Right now. And Ryan Gosling? Yeah. You know, Why um, not? Because he's got to be there. He's got to be. He's got to be there. I want to see that movie. And John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson sort of made that movie. Punch Struck Love. He did. Punch Struck Love. So yeah. Apparently, uh, Inherent Vice is actually supposed to be pretty wacky. Finally. Finally. The last thing I want to see is a collaboration of uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and the Coen Brothers as they tackle some sort of project. Hmm. Oh, I didn't even think about doing that. Wow. What would they do? I don't know. It would be, it'd be, it would be a comedy along the lines of Raising Arizona. Okay. Yeah. So we put us there, but okay. it'd have to be big. It couldn't be simple. Big. It'd have to be big because well, it's overly convoluted. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's Brock. It, w- it would have to be in Disneyland. It would be like about Disneyland character um, uh, cast members. Okay. Yeah. 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 There would there would have it would have to be a story about Disneyland cast members. And how they're performing as Mickey. It's Booker. goofy. Or goofy. It's goofy. Fall walking around, living his... I would watch that movie. Escape from Space Mountain. <laughs> Descent to Space Mountain. Journey to the center of Space Mountain. Rise of the planet of Space Mountain. <laughs> yes. All of the above. We are in. You give 100 monkeys 100 typewriters, we'll figure something out. <laughs> It's kind of like the show. That was what I was getting at, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I really do like those picks. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? 
Okay, so first off, uh, our house time travel sci-fi. Let's not see that. You want to know why? Because it would be so convoluted, it's not even funny. Yeah, yeah it'd be yeah, Primer. It's, it's called Primer. Well, yeah. which is great. Uh, think, Primer is, is, that, is that Art House? Oh, yes. well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's I've definitely seen, indie. I have watched, it's definitely indie. I've seen that movie four times, and not one, but now that you mention it, it's fair. I've seen that movie four times, and attempt to figure out what the hell is going on in that movie. I, mean, I haven't seen it because I don't like the internet. Um, obviously, <laughs> the other Art House is Ravaganza, and Back to the Future. But I never thought, I never thought Art House, and actually the movie that came to my mind when I was seeing Art House, was actually a little movie called 12 Monkeys directed by Terry Gilliam. That's a badass movie. I love that movie. And Legetti is house. the real art house That is the only one. Well, I, I wrote it down and then I was like, well, there's no art house movie. And I was thinking, like, as we've been podcasting, I'm thinking, like, there's that movie. There is that. That's a good movie. Um, uh, how about this? If we're doing mashups like Arthur threw out there with the Jerry Bruckheimer thing right there, what about a romantic comedy directed by Terry Gilliam starring Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Hugo Weaving? I'm in. Ew. You had me at Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> I got off the boat at Terry Gilliam. <laughs> Even though you just... That you makes know, I like 12 Monkeys. I mean, I like Terry Gilliam. Uh, that's <laughs> right. He's a new movie coming out next year starring... Uh, oh, uh, yeah, he's got supposed to have a new movie coming out every year. And they never come out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Terry, <laughs> Terry, get it together. You were better when you worked at John Cleese. <laughs> All I want to say is this. They have to be raising peacocks. Otherwise, I'm not interested. <laughs> Oh, now I'm back in. <laughs> All right, and um, my man. Lastly, let's go. Uh, let's go with a straight up space sci-fi as directed um, by Stanley Kubrick. Oh wow, I've never <laughs> seen that before. That's original. <laughs> um, let, let's yeah, actually, if we're going classic, let's say. Uh, oh crap. I'm trying to blank right now. Fail as a movie buff. 2001: Space Odyssey. I do drink too much. He directed Godfather. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola. Yes, a sci-fi directed by Francis Ford Coppola, starring none other than his daughter, because everyone loves his daughter Sophia. so much, right? Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? Well, I was thinking that I'd really like to see kind of an artsy, like hyper-violent sci-fi film. That I remember District Nine already happened, so mm. that's out. God, that's a great movie. That's right. a great movie. And then I was thinking. Man, I'd really like to see a hyper-violent, uh, kind of funny gangster movie. And then I remember the first half of Quentin Tarantino's career. So that's out. <laughs> and then I realized I really like hyper-violent films. Yeah, you do. Which is weird. Not a violent person. Really like violent movies. Not true. Cathartic release. Yeah, definitely. So you know what I really do want, though? I want to see a hyper-violent... Come on, romantic comedy. Video game movie adaptation Ooh. that's super artsy... And cute and and like really interesting and smart and awesome and weird. So, what video game would you suggest for adaptation? Mm. We're all going to play this game. Oh, this is a fun game. This is a We're game itself. Yeah, 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 all three of us are going to. Give me a second. Uh, <laughs> Wait, didn't the Mario Brothers movie happen? Wasn't that Archie guys? I mean, come on, come on. The Mario Brothers movie where they had the little no. Far Cry. Ooh. Okay, Far Cry. Hyper violent shades of the uh, Hearts of Darkness. Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Excellent. I can actually. Yeah. Be, I can almost check that. That checks out, doesn't it? Uh, I, I'm cool with that pick. Uh, okay. I, I guess we've but, but, clearly but, created a game on the fly here. Yeah. So you must pick a video game and a director. Go, Arthur. Hey, uh, can I point out there has already been a Far Cry movie? No, it doesn't count. <laughs> As directed go, by, go kill yourself. <laughs> it doesn't exist along with Godfather Three. Yeah, exactly. And Indiana Jones Four. Yeah. Hey, and Star I, Wars prequels. Exactly. I'm gonna get shot out like all those things. Except for except for the except for the Far Cry movie. The movie's terrible. I'm gonna say a I'm gonna say, oh, actually, Duck Hunt. Okay. Starring Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the uh, monotony like of violence, and it's gonna take a very descent into madness. With the talking Slow burn. dog. With the talking dog. <laughs> that he wants to shoot at the turn every every chance he wants to shoot him. Okay. The I'm, talking dog, voiced that, by Bill Murray. And okay. clearly, <laughs> I, know, I, I know who directed it. Do you know who directed it? I know it? who directed it. Lars Von Trier. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Is that your pick? That'll work. Oh, man. That's funny. That makes me happy. I like that pick so much. It's fantastic. Mr. Caleb Bassers, your art video game film directed by whom? Uh, Little Big Planet directed by... um, (laughs) Little Little Big Planet video game directed by... Oh, it's British, so we need some kind of crazy British actor here. Um, Let's go with uh, as directed by... Who's the guy who just won for best director today? Karan? 
No, oh no, no, the twelve year slave guy, not Crown. Steve uh, McQueen. Steve oh. McQueen. Sorry. Okay, Little Big Planet, directed by Steve McQueen, uh, starring uh, the. Uh, I don't know what this means because I don't know that game. It's a kids game. It's a kids game. It's a kids game. It's a great game though. It's very sophisticated. <laughs> it's definitely a children's game. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's, it's a family game. game. It's a family game. It's a great too. It's like a Pixar made a game. <laughs> Little Big Planet. Oh, Tommy Queen. Steve McQueen. Um, uh, I'm not a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Oh, I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm running out of intro actors here. Um, I done Willem Dafoe. So, uh, starring Brad Pitt and um, Elijah Wood, and uh, in a love triangle with um, Penelope Cruz. Okay, these guys aren't taking this game seriously. So I'm going to bring it back around to myself because you don't play video games, so you don't get to play. I have a game. What? Do you really? I, I do. Go let, ahead. Let the master speak. <laughs> is it Space Invaders? No. Missile <laughs> Command? <laughs> it's old. Okay. What yeah, is, it? is it from the Odyssey? Go ahead, Grandpa. Checkers doesn't count. <laughs> Chess. Castlevania. Okay. You had uh, me at Castlevania. Right. <laughs> are, are, are you yeah. in? Directed yeah. by... Directed by Dario Argento. Oh, so right. time travel is happening. So, yes. I thought he was dead. No. no okay. He's doing a movies, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He just okay. had a movie come out. In that case, I was going to put Philip Seymour Hoffman. Last year, two years ago, yeah. I want to say it's a Spuria version of Castlevania. Okay. Now, Dario Argento did try to make uh, a Dracula, Dracula. adaptation... Which he did not succeed in doing. Mm-hmm. As in it was very bad or they didn't finish it? It was bad. Yeah. It's bad. And I'm not pleased with it at all. But um, I would suggest that perhaps uh, if he were to go Suspiria or Inferno with it, it would be kind of fun times. And so Castlevania adaptation is his opportunity to do so. I've got one more. I t- I'm, I'm taking this very seriously now. No more jokes. This game- Hyper-violent art house video game adaptation. The Last of Us. Directed by Jeff Nichols, Ooh. starring Josh Brolin. Oh, I'd watch that movie all over. Get on the and, and is Ellen Page the girl? I mean, even though it's not Ellen Page? No. No? No. Some un- unknown. Okay. Unknown. Okay. Okay, one more. I'd watch that. One more. I did leave something out. I have a character who plays Simon in Castlevania. Okay. Viggo Morgenstern. Oh, would... Obviously, he should play everything. Um, I, I mean, if we're in seriousness, though, uh, I, I, I kind of joke. Oh, directed it too. I that. But, no, no, but in taking it seriously, though, I would love to see uh, a Bioshock movie directed by Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, I really man. would love to see. it. I don't know who would star in it or act. I hadn't really thought that much through, but that was what man. that movie's been in development hell for a couple of years. And Gore Verbinski was in charge. I was like, screw that, Alfonso Cuarón, director of Children Men, doing a Bioshock movie. Oh, God. I'd be over that. That would be so cool. Dracula played by Mads Mikkelsen being killed by Viggo Morgenstern. Are you in? I'm sorry, who? Mads, Mads... No, 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 no. Say his name again. Mads Mikkelsen. No, no, no. The other one. Viggo Morgenstern. Mortensen? Mortensen. Mortensen. You're so pretty. I'm going to offer one more. You got one more? Yeah. Go ahead. The Legend of Zelda. Okay. Ala. Valhalla Rising. Okay, I'm in. Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah, we're back right, we like with him. Link, played by Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, yes. Ryan Gosling playing Link. I'm all over this movie. Okay, I, I think I'm done. This actually, game too much fun. The game, yeah, yeah that was, was more fun, fun than the actual <laughs> game. Did you ever give your actual pick? Though, I didn't play that actual game. Though. You don't play it. Let's I, play I, the real game. Why not? We're only on now. Let's go. Okay. Well, I like film noir when it goes artsy. Mm. So, you know, of course, Vertigo is an example of that. Uh, Orson Welles' uh, Touch of Evil is another example where that goes really, really well, and I really, really dig that. So I like it anytime film noir goes in that sort of art film kind of commercial direction. I'm also a big fan of when horror gets artsy. I really do. And I, I would like to see more of House that. House of the Devil. House of the Devil. Barbarian, well, sa- Barbarian sounds Barbarian is really the art film. It seems like House the devil's more of an homage yeah. than it is uh, yeah. anything that's actually trying to uh, do something Arty. experimental, avant-garde or whatever. What I would really like to see is a truly avant-garde musical that is also a horror film. That's what I want to see. Is where it's they're putting on a play and this crazy horror film is happening at the well, same they, time. They already made that. No, it was a TV show though. Are you okay with that? I'm cool with that. It's called Glee. Um, but I want to see it directed by the ghost of uh, Vincent Minnelli, if at all possible. All right, gentlemen, with that game, <laughs> <laughs> the game within the game is that Gameception. We, we Gameception, yeah. 
But well, did either game really happen? What happened was we had a surrealist moment. Is of the top still spinning? I don't know. <laughs> what I do know, Silencio, <laughs> is that Silencio needs to happen because we had a lot of fun and we need to move on though and do what we always do as we wrap up the show. We talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Dalt, I hope you're fired up this week. I mean, yeah, I guess. Um, really excited about season two of House of Cards, which dropped uh, Friday, February fourteenth, uh, preceding our filming of this. Recording of this episode, I should say. Man! Wow! Uh, the last ten minutes of the first episode of season two are some of the best TV I think I've seen in a while. Really, uh, I'm just a big fan of the show. It's got its ups... It's got its downs. But at the end of the day, you get to see Kevin Spacey being just a, an evil uh, megalomaniac. Yeah, it continues this trend of, of angry, morally ambiguous, anti-hero white guys. Uh, it started with The Sopranos, but uh, it's still a good show. I like it a lot. It, it, we, we've talked about that on the, this trend on the show before, that you know we need a different type of uh, story on television uh, soon. But uh, in the meantime, this will do. Uh, also, uh, thanks to the United States federal government and this thing called taxes, uh, where they never take what they want. Instead, they just take a shitload and inconvenience you by having to fill out a lot of paperwork. Uh, you get a giant pile of money back at the end of the beginning of the year. I got to buy a PlayStation 4. I'm so excited! High five! Where are the cool club PlayStation 4s? I haven't got it yet, but I bought it. Thanks, Amazon. Hurry up. That's all. <laughs> excellent, excellent. You'll have to wait another day because tomorrow's a holiday. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I know. It's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be early in the middle of next week. Mr. Caleb Bassers, are you fired up this week? I am, uh, you know what? I actually am pretty fired up this week. Uh, number one being House of Cards. Uh, some of us don't have lives. Uh, or girlfriends or wives and don't know what our future looks like so we pack and while we pack what do we do we watch House of Cards so that being said this is being recorded on Sunday that is two days after it went on the internet and I've already finished all 13 episodes and man it was a blast Uh, again like Dalton says has its ups and its downs but it was a lot of fun Um, very excited for a year from now when season 3 comes out Uh, but I gotta say We've seen a lot of anti-heroes up there, but I really do think that Kevin Spacey in his show might be the most debatably, like, pure evil. He's definitely a monster. If any of them are monsters, they're all monsters. This guy, though, is, like, almost inhuman. The most monstrous He's monster. the... Oh, I actually... No, I should say most monstrous. He's the le- He seems like the least human. Because there's... The, the humanness never really shines through. With all the other guys I've seen, never shines through quite. Mm. This guy, though, I'm like, I... Or, that, that shines through... This guy, I don't think it ever. I never. There's never times I'm like, this guy is. He definitely makes Don Draper look like a youth pastor. Yes. So moving on though, uh, Game of Thrones season three hits Blu-ray. Uh, this is next week. So by the time you guys catch this episode, it'll be out on on shelves. I recommend picking up picking it up. It's uh, on sale for thirty dollars. Um, Metro. I started. Uh, I have a PlayStation Plus membership. I got for free for thirty days. And one of the games up is a game, a little game called Metro Last Light, which is a sequel to uh, Metro Twenty Thirty Three. Um, pretty good. It's a first-person shooter. Uh, it's like a futuristic world where uh, nuclear fallout happened, and then uh, in Europe, over in Europe or Russia, I believe. And there's three factions. There's like two different Russian factions and then a Nazi faction. Um, and then against all these like mutated creatures and stuff. It's pretty cool. I'm really enjoying that. Uh, and then lastly, the South Park video game, the the Wand of Truth, went gold last week. And it's finally about to come out? No, no. It's like actually done. Like they are done. Yeah. It is coming out March 7th, I believe. First, Yeah, well this game's been in development for a long time. Well, because what happened was they were owned by THQ. Who yeah. Got, they got shut down and someone else had to buy it up. Anyway, long story short, this game is finally coming out. This is uh, very hands-on from the creators of South Park, uh, Trey, and what's the, whatever you got. Trey there. Parker and Matt Stone. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Very hands-on. They've written the script. And I thought it was going to, I was honestly looking at this thinking, well, it's going to be another licensed game. It's going to be another seven, hour, seven, eight hour game. Even if, you know, it'd be fun to, to play, but really not a great game. However, uh, they released the first 13 minutes and uh, the press has gotten a hold of it. And it apparently is going to be like a full-on, like, RPG, like really big game, um, and I'm a huge fan of the, the, the South Park satire. And I think for fans, this is really like a love letter because you get to go interact with the world that's been there for like 15 years now. And it looks like a lot of fun. I'm sure it's going to be vulgar, satirical, all the great stuff we love. But I'm very excited. That's all I'm fired up about this weekend, Dustin. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Arthur, do you bring the fire to the table this week? I got the fire. 
He's hot, hot, hot! My. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, well, first and foremost, I spent Valentine's Day at the theater uh, seeing... Uh, Not the cinema, mind you. The theater. Uh, seeing Beauty and the Beast here Beauty at the Beauty and Center, the Beast. Which was a very, very enjoyable evening. A wonderful show. Um, I remembered how much I actually loved that movie. Uh, while watching it, because it's one of Disney's best, all-time best films. Amen. Um, well, I mean, but so, overall, how was the production? Be my guest. Tell me <laughs> how it was. <laughs> oh, the puns. The puns abound. It was It was good. It was a very good production. Cool. I enjoyed it. That movie uh, rings a bell. I don't think I know it very well, though. Oh. Uh, <laughs> sure. I'm not sure what just happened to our ex. We just <laughs> slipped into a okay. new pun section. The next thing that I'm fired up about is uh, January 22nd and March 1st, AMC at Quail Springs, as I mentioned last week, is hosting their Oscar showcase. Uh, the first day, the 22nd, uh, they will be playing Dallas Buyers Club, Philomena, Wolf of Wall Street, and 12 Years a Slave. And so there is a uh, marathon you don't want to miss because who doesn't want to see Philomena paired with Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, that's a weird pairing. Uh, so you can check that out for $30, or if you buy a uh, pass for both days, it'll be $60. So I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the next thing is, after, by the time you've heard this, by the time this has come out, uh, on February 18th, The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Four Correspondent both get uh, released and re-released, respectively, on Criterion. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is seeing a three-disc uh, release with... Multiple, multiple, multiple uh, making of documentaries, interviews, uh, commentaries, and special features galore. And so I am very excited about both of those releases. And finally, a show that I'm yet to see, sadly, but I'm very interested to see, uh, has been renewed for a second season. And the trailer was on YouTube, and that is Orange is the New Black. Oh, great show. It's good. And so that is exciting news to see more of Netflix's original programming uh, continuing to be picked up and uh, ran with. And so that is exciting news, I believe, from the streaming world. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I appreciate the fire you bring. Dustin Sells, as we do every episode, let's end with you. Uh, What's got you fired up this week in Popular Mechanics? I don't have a whole lot that's fired me up in popular mechanics because I don't really understand engines or tools. He's a man, such a man, such a man, he's a real, real man's man. I am fired up in pop culture, and <laughs> as a result, <laughs> I have uh, just, just, just just one just just two small items. The first of them, uh, the BAFTA awards were what I viewed. <laughs> He's got two small items. <laughs> the BAFTAs, the BAFTAs, in which uh, I saw a much more concise, uh, a much less drawn out uh, award ceremony than the Oscars, which we will all endure. Uh, later on in March. But beyond that, I also realized that one of the things that the BAFTA does is they do these Rising Star Awards and Breakout Performance Awards. And I, I thought, you know, there's something about the Oscars that is completely tied up with... Whose turn is it? Whose turn it is, yeah. This, yeah. this, this sort of, you know, paying your dues and now is your chance. And it has less to do with that which is absolutely just dazzlingly brilliant on the screen. And I I, I want to suggest to the Academy that one way to inject some of that blood back into their selection process is to look at something like uh, debut performances or rising star uh, sorts of roles. You know, again, a rising star may not necessarily be a person. It's their first performance. They may have been working for quite some time, but all of a sudden, two years ago, Michael Fassbender is a thing, right? Uh, He's totally worthy of that particular Jennifer Lawrence won an Oscar last year. She'd only been in the business for like three years. Right, well, and sometimes that happens. But I'm going to say Denzel's winnings uh, sometimes are yeah. backhanded yeah. and, and right. whatnot. Meryl Streep and her giant pile of gold trophies. You know, and I love, I love rewarding the Meryl. And I think sometimes these yeah. older actors and actresses are completely worthy of for rewards. Sure. But there is this sort of 
I mean, cronyism that's going on in the system. And I think perhaps suggesting something like that in the award system might be more helpful. Uh, Also, in Oscar-related news, on uh, Friday, Valentine's Day, I had the opportunity to go see all of the Oscar-nominated animated shorts. And they're fun. They are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Uh, The best one was probably uh, the submission from Japan. The one that will win is that which we saw, Get Me a Horse, uh, before Frozen with Mickey and uh, some early, early film moving into CGI and color because Oscar loves that magic of the movie stuff. So I assume that that one's going to win. My favorite, however, was the Existential Crisis film that we saw from Ireland, uh, narrated by the brilliant George Takai. That's right, Captain Sulu is uh, back in cinema. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just marveling at how I'm unsurprised that the Irish film is about existential crises. Oh, it is. It's so fantastic because we have a squirrel who's missing a scarf. And he goes and he talks to all these people about their various and sundry problems. The last person he talks to, the problem is the whole universe is going to come to an end and we're all going to die, so how can we continue? It's like Sartre that he confronts at the end. And to which the squirrel responds, well, you know, yeah, that's all going to happen, but I think we should just be happy in the meantime and do something with our lives. And then an asteroid hits the planet and everyone dies. It's beautiful. It's awesome. (laughs) Spoiler alert, sorry, but it's fan-stinking-tastic, and it was a good time for me, and there was not a whole lot of laughter at that moment, but that's all right. (laughs) But that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture. I'm so glad you gentlemen were fired up as well. We have one more show this month, and we'll be doing one more anti-trash show before we get back to our normal lowbrow fare that is uh, this show that you know and love. Next week, we'll be looking at a film called Upstream Color, the follow-up up to Primer from Shane Carruth. It is artsy, it is fartsy, it is also science fiction-y. Um, therefore, it shall be fun. And a good time will be had by all, or else. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> so, take a look at that. Uh, let us know what you thought about what we said today, uh, what our analysis brings or fails to bring, uh, what suggestions you would make about video games to be added, adapted by great auteurs and what you think about uh, genre film and its relationship to art we'd like to hear all of those things from you all and until next time we'll see you and we look forward to more conversation on the interwebs Who's there? Who's there? I will call the police!